David wrote, Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. I've been thinking about that a little bit this morning. Uh, of course, I can relate with David whenever he says, although my house be not so with God. I think all of us at some point or another has experienced family members and friends uh, who have yet to believe the, the, gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a lot of religious family members and friends uh, that... Uh, Follow uh, a gospel of free will, a gospel of free choice, a gospel of you know God being at the mercy of everybody's decisions, and we have to let God do this, let God do that. Uh, that uh, salvation hinges upon whether or not we repent and believe. That uh, we're not justified before God unless we do this or do that. Uh, that God, Christ has died for everybody. Uh, and if you'll just accept his salvation or come to him or whatever the condition might be, then he'll give it to you. You know, he wants to give it to you. He has the power to give it to you, but he won't do it because he ain't going to override your free will, your free choice. He's not going to force himself on you, as uh, Adrian Rogers and Charles Stanley used to say. He's a gentleman. He won't force himself on you. Uh, so we have friends and family that believe this false gospel and it does break my heart um, it does uh, uh, cause us to go before the Lord and pray that he would grant to them repentance and faith uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ uh, not this one that's made by the fashion of men but David here says you know although my house be not so with God yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant uh, I think about how the Bible talks about how when the Lord saves his people he saves them not only out of every nation tribe and language tongue whatever uh, group but he also saves people out of their families you know uh, he saves them and sometimes there may be some that are saved within the family and some that are not you know, uh, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be uh, married to a woman who didn't believe God. And uh, I couldn't imagine uh, what it would be like to uh, uh, be married maybe to an atheist who just totally rejected the thought of a God that whatsoever, you know. Uh, but yet David here, he said, you know, despite the fact that it's not so with all my family... And we definitely know that David had some problems within his family, uh, especially his children. There was a problem among them. Yet, what was it that was, to me, as we see in the last part of that verse, you know, this is all my desire. This is, you know, the thing that I desire more than anything uh, is this salvation, is that despite our love for our family and you know our relationship with them and things like that, there is this deeper love, this deeper desire that we get as being the children of God. There is a, a, a bond or a union 
Um, that is that is fuller, deeper, more important than uh, even family. You know, Jesus Himself even said, you know, that I'm going to cause division among mother and fa- uh, mother and daughter, father and son, brother and sister. You know, there's going to be this division that comes whenever one becomes a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ, and that division comes because we believe the truth. We believe the gospel. And that gospel, whenever it's narrowed down to its, to me, most simplistic discussion, it's on where does our righteousness come? Does our righteousness come from the sovereign hand of God laying that to our account apart from any condition that we do Or does that come by us responding, coming, doing this or whatever? Is our righteousness truly a righteousness that came to us, irregardless of us doing anything? It came to us and was given to us and is enough. That's all we need. We don't need a righteousness of our own. We don't need to perform before God at a certain level for God to continue to keep us and to love us and to want us and to and to uh, 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 bless us. You know that that is the gospel of religion that says that we have to maintain this level of righteousness before God. David here he says God hath made me an everlasting covenant. Now the first thing that kind of pops out in that is that he says he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. Now there's a lot of people and I think we've talked about this before. Uh, when God makes a covenant, He doesn't make a two-way covenant with His creation. So whenever David says He has made with me an everlasting covenant, David wasn't involved in the saying, okay, well, if you do this, then I will do this. Now, I've preached that. I've taught that before, that a covenant is between God and us, and God says, I'll do this, and if you'll do this, I will give this to you. And that's kind of the mentality most churches today. That Jesus will die for you, He will forgive you of your sins, and He will do all this if you will do this. So there's where the covenant is. It's a two-way partnership. And we know, I mean, men know that a contract or a covenant is a, a contract between two parties. But whenever it comes to God, it's not so. With God, a covenant is a unilateral covenant. God is saying, I will do this. Why? Well, because known unto God are all His works, the end from the beginning. He says, I will do all my pleasure. Okay? He's not going to do your pleasure. He's going to do His pleasure. If your pleasure lines up with His pleasure, what a wonderful thing that is. (laughs) But whenever our pleasures, whenever our desires, whenever our thoughts are not the same as God's thoughts in what He plans to do, then there's conflict and it's on our part. Um, But when David here says that he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, it is that he consulted with David and said, if you'll do this, I will do this. No, he told David, this is my covenant with you. So he, yes, did he make the covenant with David? Yes, he made it with David, but he didn't make it on the grounds that David would perform something so that he would be able to give it to David. He said, He hath made with me a covenant. So that means that God made the covenant, then the covenant was lined out by God. 
that the that the covenant was thought up by God, outlined by God, drew up. The contract was written up by him. He was the underwriter of it, or whatever they call him, that draws up the terms of it. He's the one that drew up the terms. This covenant I made. He made with me a covenant. Second thing I've seen in there, or third thing I've seen in there, is that it's an everlasting covenant. This covenant didn't begin with David. Whenever David was there hearing the Lord speak with him. This covenant wasn't something that began in this time of earth's history. This covenant was an everlasting covenant, meaning that this covenant that he made with David was a covenant that he drew up and made before anything was ever happening. If it's an everlasting covenant, then it means that it's a covenant that has always existed. It didn't come into being at the cross. It didn't come into being at faith. It didn't come into being when the patriarchs lived, whenever he spoke with Abraham before David, he didn't, the covenant didn't come into existence then. It didn't come into existence with Moses. It didn't come into existence with David. It didn't come into existence with Isaac and Jacob and all the other, name them all. It's an everlasting covenant. The, the covenant that God made with David is an everlasting covenant. Therefore, just because David was involved in the uh, activity of this covenant, this covenant was made irregardless necessarily, if you'll allow me some leeway here and explain this, irregardless of David, the everlasting covenant was in regards to Christ. That's the, who the center of the everlasting covenant is. I have loved the people, and I am giving you a people, and these people are in you, and therefore I will bless you. And they are blessed because they are in you. And that everlasting covenant of salvific blessings is all based upon the elect who is Christ. We're elect because we're in Christ. And we receive all spiritual blessings because we are in Christ. But He is the one who received those blessings and all the all the promises beforehand. The everlasting covenant is with Christ. And as the mediator of that covenant, He's the one who is bringing that covenant about, right? He is the one who is working out the terms of that covenant. It's not David who's doing the working of the covenant. It is Christ coming. Why? Because He's our proxy. He's the mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Jesus Christ, right? So there isn't, if, if there was a covenant between David and God, and David had a part, then David is the one who's doing the mediating. I'm having to mediate my end of the covenant, right? There's joint mediation. God does His part, I do my part. What, what's the big theological term we use for that? Synergism, right? Well, it's not. It's monergism. It's monogistic. It's a one work. God's work. He's the one who is doing the, the work. And he did that by taking on flesh and coming as the mediator, Christ Jesus. He is mediating the terms of his own covenant. Because there's only one person that can mediate the divine aspect of the covenant, and that's God. 
and there's only one person that can mediate the human or man part of the aspect, and that's Christ Jesus. So God has to take on flesh and become Christ Jesus to mediate this covenant so that man, because the Bible says that the terms of this covenant is that sin has to be condemned in the flesh. The sins of his people have to be condemned in the flesh. Therefore, flesh has to be condemned, or sin has to be condemned in flesh. Christ had to come in flesh so that sin could be condemned. So his people, whom he predestinated to be sinners through Adam, their sin would be mediated by Christ Jesus. And that sin would not be imputed to them. Why? Because they were in Christ Jesus. He is their mediator. That's why we can't mediate the covenant. The reason we can't mediate the covenant is because the natural man can do nothing on the spiritual level. The natural man cannot keep the law of God. The natural man cannot uh, pay for his sins. Or that God's justice would be satisfied. I mean, that is exactly why, in my, in my estimation, I can be corrected on this if, 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 if it's not according to Scripture, but in my estimation, that is why there is eternal damnation, is because sinners cannot pay the full debt of the price that they owe for their sinfulness. Therefore, that punishment continues on and on and on and on. They cannot ever fill up the justice of God by their persecution, by their uh, by the judgment that God has put on them. Therefore, they experience that eternal punishment, that eternal damnation. Um, again, I, you know, I'm open for correction on that uh, and everything. But Jesus, He was able to take on all of our sin. And it was enough. If it wasn't enough, God wouldn't have said it was enough. He would not have raised Christ from the dead. He would not have said that by His death He justified the many. We would not have been justified had not God said, my justice is satisfied in His sacrifice. So therefore, the everlasting covenant was mediated not by God and David, but by God and Christ, who David was a picture of, most surely. The, the covenant is an everlasting covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, all the terms of the covenant has to be carried out and fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did that. He did every bit that, uh, that was part of that, that covenant. Now, I will also say this. I don't think that that covenant of the Lord was if you'll, Jesus, go down and do this, then I will do this either. I believe it was this. This is what I will do. I will send my son. He will be the mediator. Jesus said, I will go. Not that if you'll send me, I will do it all for you. No, he didn't. It wasn't a, if, if so, if this, if that, or if this. No, it was this is the purpose of God. The purpose of God was was this is what I declared. This is how I'm going to perform righteousness. This is how I'm going to show righteousness. This is how I'm going to show all the attributes of who I am to my creation. Justice, righteousness, holiness, goodness, 
mercy, grace, all that's going to be showed on a people who doesn't deserve it, who is sinful people, but because I've given them to Christ and He is their proxy and substitute, He is going to, on their behalf, obey the law for them, on their behalf, die for their sins, uh, and experience all the wrath of God that is due for that sin, and therefore, in grace, I will count it to them, even though they didn't do nothing for it, and they didn't deserve it, because I did that to my son, then they will be the recipients of it, so they see all that aspect and characteristic of God. But to this group, the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, God says, I will not show grace, I will show hatred, I will show justice, I will show wrath, I will show, uh, again, holiness and righteousness is shown in the destruction of the wicked. Whenever we see the wicked being judged in their sins, whenever we see the wicked being tossed into everlasting darkness and damnation, we see the justice of God, we see the holiness of God. God is not going to uh, uh, accept any sin. He's not going to accept any man's attempt at righteousness. And therefore, His justice is fully seen. God would not be a just God if He winked at it, if He let it go, if He lessened the amount of judgment or wrath upon it. He would not be a just God. And so, when we look at this, we see that when David seen or become aware of this everlasting covenant, what did it do? He said... This is all my salvation and all my desire. This is all I desire to know. This is all uh, my salvation. Now, with that being said, David understood this everlasting covenant and everything that's entailed in this, this man who's going to come from my loins, so to speak, this man who is going to come uh, as a root of Jesse, or out of root of David, this man that's going to be brought forth, this man is all my salvation. It's all in Him. David understood that all his righteousness was in this man, not anybody else. That this man, the covenant man, Jesus Christ, was his salvation. And that was all he desired to know. He didn't desire to know any other kind of salvation but that kind. Because it's an everlasting salvation. It's a perfect salvation. But look what it says there. An everlasting salvation, uh, everlasting covenant ordered in all things. Now, brethren, I don't know how else to take this, but meaning that everything that had to do with the covenant, God ordered it, predestinated it. So that means whether it's election, me being chosen to salvation, whether it's sin coming into the world and the need for salvation whether it's Christ being born and coming into this world, whether it's wicked men taking the hands and crucifying Jesus Christ, whether it's God forsaking His Son and pouring out wrath upon Him, whatever whatever that is that's part of this salvation, the end time causing us to repent and uh, believe, giving us a hope, all these things was ordered by God. Everything from the first to the last, the end from the beginning, all of these things, God has ordered it. And if God has ordered it, there is no way that it's going to veer away from it. 
David was sure here that this everlasting covenant has been ordered by God. And it's, what do you say? It is ordered in all things and sure. That word sure means that there's no deviation, that it's a promise that you can keep or that you can bank on because God does not lie. He's promised it. And it's sure because, again, He's the one who is carrying out the terms of the covenant. He's the one who is fulfilling the mediatorial role. He's the one that's doing all the work and not us. See, the terms of the covenant, the fulfillment of the covenant, all lies within the hands of God and His faithfulness. See, our salvation is only as sketchy as God is sketchy. Right? It all comes down to whether Christ is faithful or not. Not whether or not you're faithful. All of us are not faithful, brethren. We might be given by God a grace to be faithful in this or that here and there once in a while. But we are not faithful. We are faithless. Faith is a gift of God. Faithfulness is a gift of God. It is a grace of God. But brethren, listen, we are not faithful and we do not keep things and God rewards us for keeping those things or preserves us for keeping those things or grants to us salvation because we keep it. Now, listen, if salvation was based on our faith or our faithfulness, then our salvation is on very, 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 very shaky sand. On shaky foundation, it's on sand. It's all coming down to Christ's faithfulness. So our salvation is as sure as His faithfulness. And we know the Bible says that faithful is He who calls you, who also will what? Do it. it. That's right, brother. He will do it. He's the one who's going to fulfill those terms of the covenant. And David was sure about these things. He was convinced of these things. He knew this is all my salvation. My salvation doesn't come to me being a child of Abraham. My salvation doesn't come to me being the king of Israel. My salvation doesn't come in my adherence to the law. God knows that I have completely messed it all up. And look at the offspring that I brought forth and how they're mixed up. I mean, even the good son Solomon, he had his issues. Brethren, David knew that his salvation was sure because the faithfulness of the one who was mediating that everlasting covenant. He says, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. The natural man, he doesn't desire Christ alone for salvation. The natural man likes to pat himself on the back for doing a good job and doing all these religious works and all what we're going to do and the natural man is is fired up about how much we're going to invade this world and take over everything. Well, like we talked about a while ago about the post post millennial viewpoint, you know, that the church is going to become militant and take over everything, and the gospel is going to prevail over all the world, and it's going to subdue it into a peaceful time, and all this sort of stuff. I don't see that in the scriptures anywhere, brother. Not that the gospel isn't going to be stifled. Not that, uh, not that the church is going to be stopped, uh, but brethren, it's not going to, the Bible says the things are going to grow worse and worse. Um, that we're going to be persecuted. And we're going to be uh, 
the ones who experience hardships and, and turmoil. And uh, see, we don't get out and, and do anything in as far as advancing the kingdom of God. We think that we advance the kingdom of God. We think that we are the ones who hold uh, this uh, this uh, doorway into the kingdom of God and that God has given us. That The Bible says that it is Christ who opens and no man shuts and that he shuts and no man opens, right? It's Christ that does that. Uh, he's the only one that has the keys to death and hell. He's the only one that uh, has been given power over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as has been given to him. He's the only one that has been given a people, and that people doesn't increase or decrease in number. God's not got an eraser in the Lamb's Book of Life, and he's erasing names and adding names. How many of y'all have ever sung, There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. That's the most unbiblical song that's ever been put in hymn books just about. There's not new names written in heaven. There's a bunch of old names that were written in heaven, and they've never been taken off that list. There's never been names taken off that list, brethren, and there's not new names being written as time goes by. He said, this is all my desire. But David also seen nothing in this last phrase. This kind of got me a little bit. I tried to look and see what other other commentators were saying on the thing. I had my thoughts about what it might be and trying to see. I mean, there was a plethora of uh, comments about this. Although he make it not to grow, I, I'm at least given to understand, and I might be wrong in this, um, he's talking about this salvation that he sees and that he hopes in and has a desire for knowing only this salvation is not yet taking place yet. As far as the one coming and performing the terms of this covenant. He's still looking to Christ, his root that has not yet grown, his seed that has not yet come forth being Christ Jesus. Um, although he is not made known, and this goes back to all these Old Testament saints that even though the cross had not yet happened, they were saved or saved just like we are. They were saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And they had a hope given to them just like we have a hope given to us looking back on what Christ did. They had a hope given to them that there would be one who would come in their stead. That one would come and give them a righteousness that they could not ever keep of their own. All these Old Testament believers, all these Old Testament saints, they looked to Jesus Christ as their hope and their salvation. Now, they didn't know all the things fully as we know it, now, but they surely knew this thing, and David had this hope of this man that would be to come from his loins. This man that would come, that would sit upon his throne. This man who would come and be uh, the true king of the true Israel. And David looked at that and said, even though uh, uh, he hasn't yet made it to grow, he hasn't sprung this root or this branch yet, this is still my salvation. This is my hope. This is my desire. The everlasting covenant falls upon His faithfulness. 
And what a joy it brought to David to know that. And what a joy and a comfort that brings to all of us children of God, right? It's our comfort. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Speak unto them the things that have been done on their behalf. What God has done for us. What Jesus has done for us. See, it isn't comfort. Now, it does tickle the flesh a little bit. But it's not comfort whenever you tell me what I have to go do. When you tell me what I have to get up and, and maintain and keep up and what I need to do for Jesus or some resemblance of holiness or some resemblance of righteousness or something like this, brethren, that becomes disparaging. That becomes very, very discouraging and depressing because, as Paul said, I see in my flesh there was no good thing. So what do we look to? We look at the things that was ordered and all things and that which is sure. My upkeeping of righteous things is not sure. It is, like I said, at the very least, a very shaky foundation, if not utterly nothing. Just nothing. So brethren, I pray that we, like David, uh, look to those things that were ordered in all things and sure. That we have hope by the Spirit that He is our salvation. All right, anybody have any thoughts or anything? Anything you'd like to add to that? Corrections or rebukes about that? Thoughts? Other thoughts than what I have on that? Father, we again thank you so much for all that you are in Christ Jesus, and we thank you for the salvation that we have in him. Thank you for the everlasting covenant and the mediator of it. We thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ as our proxy, as our substitute, as our uh, representative, Lord, who has uh, gone before us and uh, fulfilled all the righteousness that you required but has also went to the grave and uh, has come back, Lord. And we now have uh, life because of Him. We now have hope because of Him. We now have righteousness because of Him. We have forgiveness, reconciliation. And Father, Lord, one of these days we will have true personal fellowship face-to-face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessed hope that is. Hope not built on anything that we do or accomplish, but a hope built on the, on the work of Christ alone. And may we, like David, may this be all of our desire. May all that we look to and hope for is that which Christ has performed for us. And Lord, we just pray that you would keep us in the gospel, that you would keep us, Father, uh, in the faith, uh, that you would uh, protect us from straying, uh, from your doctrine and your ordinances. Lord, we know that we are feeble people, that we are fallible people, uh, that we, by in our nature, can be tossed to and fro, uh, back and forth, by the, by the thinking of carnal mind and by the wisdom of men. But Father, we pray that you keep our minds set upon Christ Jesus and that the Spirit of God would teach us and to, and to convict us and to, and to draw us uh, more and more into the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him being our only hope 
and our only foundation. Father, we again thank you for all these brethren that you've gathered here today. We pray that you'd be with them as they leave this place and as they go home this week. Lord, that you would minister not only to them, but Lord, that they might also uh, be a, uh, uh, a, uh, uh, a witness of Christ Jesus uh, in uh, all that they do. And they say, Lord, that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, will be shared with those that they come in contact with. Father, we know that you uh, are the shepherd of the sheep and that you bring in all those that you uh, have and that you build your church as you see fit and everything. And so, Lord, we just pray that you might continue to um, bring those that you have uh, to your fold, whether it be here or whether it be anywhere else, Lord, that the people of God are gathered. Lord, we just pray that you be with them, that you would... Uh, have your presence among them as you promised. And Lord, that you would just strengthen them, uh, especially in these evil days. Uh, we know that this doesn't surprise you, Lord. You're in control of all things. But Lord, we see the world uh, being waxing worse and worse and that the evil, even in our country, Lord, uh, has become so great uh, than we've ever seen it in our lifetime. And... Uh, Lord, we know that you have a purpose in that. We know that Satan and all of his uh, devils and demons, uh, Lord, we know that they uh, are not over your control. Uh, but Lord, we just pray that you would keep us in the midst of these things. While we be in the world, may we not be of the world, and that you might protect us and that you might grant to us uh, a safety in, uh, in our doctrine, uh, safety even in our physical lives, Lord. Uh, but even at that, though we may perish, uh, though we may experience tribulation and persecution and hardships, Lord, we know that you are faithful and uh, that even though they may be able to destroy the body, they cannot destroy the soul. And we are grateful for that. And we just ask, Lord, that you just might continue to encourage the brethren and to strengthen them in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.